0: Well, Andy, choir, thank you for leading us in worship today. Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. Yeah, my name is Lila Fountain. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And so it's good to see everybody here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings 19. Hold your place there. We're also going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at this transition in leadership between these two prophets here in the book of Kings. And so 1 Kings 19 Uh, Let me pray for me. Let me pray for us. Um, Had a late night last night. Uh, I got three kids, three and under. One was crying last night, so it it was a late night. Let me pray for me, pray for us, and we'll get into God's Word. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship together and to worship you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, help me to teach your Word today. Empower me by your Spirit and, Lord, transform our lives as we look at this call of discipleship here in 1 Kings 19. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, like I said, I got three kids, three and under. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I um, I, um, my, I, I, I was clearing, clearing out the backyard. I was clearing out the backyard. We had a lot of uh, debris. Over the winter, we had some trees fall down. Actually, coal... And Tony Hudson, they came over to my house, helped me chop down an old tree like about a month ago. And so I had all this debris in the backyard. And what I started to do was starting to make some brush fires, just like burning some piles of wood over here and over here. And I had about three piles in the backyard going, just kind of burning down, um, you know, some of the the debris. I I have like a kind of like a forest in my backyard out there in Wake Forest. That's where we live. And so I'm out there burning. I got smoke going up. It's it's kind of it's kind of cool, you know. As a guy, it's like awesome. And uh, my little my, my oldest daughter, Lila, she's in her diaper. She's on a chair in the kitchen, and she's looking out of the backyard, seeing the smoke going up, and she's just yelling out, "He's a madman! He's a madman!" And I'm like, "Where does she get this stuff? This is crazy." I mean, she thought I was burning down the whole backyard, right? um and so we're going to be looking at some guys today elijah and elisha and you see some of the things they do and you're just like man these guys are madmen these you know you just want to like man you're a madman what are you doing here this is crazy and so we're going to see this transition in leadership here from elijah to elisha today now another transition of leadership happened on april 12 1945. vice president harry truman was asked to come to the white house and he thought FDR, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt had a special assignment to him just to call him to the White House suddenly. But he was a little surprised when he was ushered into Mrs. Roosevelt's sitting room. And there he saw Mrs. Roosevelt get up from her chair. She came and put her arm on his shoulder and said, Harry, the president is dead. Truman was shocked. He stunned. He, he asked Mrs. Roosevelt, is there anything I could do for you? She said No but is there anything we can do for you? Because you're the president now and you're in a lot of trouble. See, it's hard enough to become president all of a sudden, but he's becoming president. Truman became president in the middle of World War II. And so Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, he, he was the longest serving president in the United, in United States history. He served four terms. He dies at the beginning of his fourth term. He was controversial, but he was a dominating and effective leader. And all of... All of a sudden, Truman becomes president here. And, um, and he has some big questions to answer, like, what are you going to do about Hitler? What are you going to do about Japan? What are you going to do about Joseph Stalin? He's transitioning, transitioning into leadership in the midst of one of the co- most complex wars in history, in World War II. And, you know, leaders don't last forever, and change is inevitable. And the next day, Truman said this. He said, I felt like the moon, the stars, and all the planets had fallen on me. He felt the burden of leadership. And as we see here in 1st and 2nd Kings, we're gonna see this transition of leadership from the prophet Elijah to Elisha. And in this time, this transition of leadership is happening in the midst of wars, and idolatry. The country is going away from God. And so this is a very difficult time to become a prophet. And these two guys we see here, man, they're madmen. And we're gonna see some crazy things they're gonna do here in the book of Kings. As we look at this transition from Elijah to Elisha, and we're gonna see this call of discipleship, okay, that comes upon Elisha's life here in 1 Kings 19. And here's the thing, the greatest need for the church today in our day and age is humble disciples of Jesus. We need people who take on the call of discipleship, who will answer that call. You know, we're all faced with very difficult questions in our lives. You know, why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, what job will I work? Who will I marry? But the greatest question, the most important question is, who will I entrust my life to? Who will I follow? You know, if you're not a Christian today, this is the greatest question for you is, will you follow God or will you follow yourself or will you follow someone or something else? If you're a Christian today, it's good to think about this call of discipleship because the call of discipleship is a daily battle. The call of discipleship is something you have to renew in your heart and mind daily. And so as we look at this call of discipleship here in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, and 2 Kings 2, look with me here in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Let me give you the context. 1 Kings 18, um, Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. And um, man, he thinks the nation's gonna change, and nothing really changes. He gets threatened by Jezebel, and what happens in 1 Kings um, 19 is that Elijah he falls into a spiritual depression. And I, I preached on this last March or April last year. If you want to hear about 1 Kings 19, you can find it on our website. But here in 1 Kings 19, he falls into this spiritual depression. God works him out of this depression, and he gives him an assignment to do. And he tells him to go anoint two kings. He says, anoint Hazael, king over Assyria. And he says, anoint Nimshi to be king over Israel. And then he says this, go anoint Elisha to become a prophet in your place. And that's where we find ourselves here in 1 Kings 19. 19, look with me here. So he departed from there, that's Elijah, and he found Elisha, the son of Shephah, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So first thing to recognize here that Elisha is rich, Okay, it says he's plowing his farm with twelve yoke of oxen. Okay, a middle class family at this time would have maybe one yoke of oxen. They'd have two ox. Here he has twelve yoke of oxen. A, a yoke would would bind two ox together as you would plow the fields. This guy has twenty four oxes. I mean, he has he's wealthy. He's got a lot of land. He's got a lot of oxen. Notice also that he's driving. It says he was with the twelfth. So that means he's with the last last yoke of oxen, that means he has 11 servants working the other 11 yoke of oxen. So this guy's wealthy. He has servants. He lives in a place called Abel Mahola, which in English can be translated meadow of dancing. So he's, he's in this, what's known as the bread basket of Israel. He's in the most fertile area. He has the best land. He's wealthy. He's comfortable. He's got servants. He's got it all. And it says, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So without saying a word, Elijah puts, like throws his coat onto Elijah. This is a little weird, right? Like if you are if you own a company and you're looking for some employees, you don't go to the grocery store and take your coat and just throw it on people as you walk by them, right? Probably get arrested, right? This is not a good strategy. And here is Elijah just throwing his, coat, uh, his cloak onto Elisha. Without saying anything. And what we have here is the cloak was a symbol of authority. It's it's a symbol of the vocation of the prophet. And he's basically saying, Hey, Elisha, come and follow me and be like me. Come be my disciple. Now, remember this Elijah is a wanted man. So, this is kind of risky to follow Elijah in this vocation as a prophet. Because when you're a prophet, you're saying things that people don't like to hear. You're telling people, hey, you're a sinner, you're following false gods, you need to repent and turn to God. And people don't like to hear that. So this is a dangerous business that he's getting into. And it says this in verse 20, He says, and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and my mother, let me say goodbye to my family, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Verse 21, and he returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yolks of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. It's it's incredible. Elisha, knowing all the dangers, knowing all the risks, he responds without hesitation. He responded promptly. He runs after Elijah, and he says, hey, let me go say goodbye to my family. And and Elijah says, you know, what have I done to you? He basically, the idiom he's saying is like, you know, I'm not here to stop you. You can go say goodbye to your family. Um, I didn't call you to this. God called you to this. This is your decision to make. You can go say goodbye to your family. And what he does is he takes his, his yoke of oxen, he takes his plows, and he takes his oxen, and he burns them. And he throws this big barbecue. Man, Burgers and steaks for everyone, right? This is where the Longhorn Steakhouse franchise got its start, right? This is, I mean, this is a crazy party. Like if you had one ox and you slaughtered it, you would have enough food for a family for a year. He slaughters 24 oxen here. This is a incredible celebration. So he's celebrating this call of discipleship on his life. And so what I want to do here is the rest of the time, I want to give you seven things to see here in our passage that God calls us to when we look at the call of discipleship. What can we learn from the call of discipleship? So here's number one. The call of discipleship requires us to walk outside our comfort zone. It requires us to walk outside our comfort zone. Remember, Elisha is comfortable. He's rich. He has servants. He lives in the best land. He has it all. And Elijah is calling him to be a prophet. And, and he, so he's calling him away from a life of comfort. He's calling him from a, a, uh, away from a life of power, of status. And he's calling him to live a life of danger, of risk, to live a life of discomfort. And so God, when he calls us, when he calls us to this call of discipleship, he calls us out to walk outside our comfort zone. I mean, Elisha, he, he has to know that Ahab, the idolatrous king, is on the throne. Jezebel is in the palace. People all around him are, are walking in idolatry and walking away from God. That this is going to be a risky decision. But the call of discipleship calls us outside of our comfort zone. And it calls us to live a life of risk, and to follow God. Secondly, the call of discipleship requires us to be all in. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to burn the plows. The call to discipleship of Elijah. He burns the plows. He burns his oxen. There's no turning back. He, he, he burns his past. He burns his former life. He gets rid of his livelihood. There's no turning back. There's no plan B. He burns all the bridges behind him. You know, in 1519, you probably heard this story. The Spanish explorer Cortez, he set sail for Mexico. And he, he took with him an entourage it says of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. Okay. So he has these, this group of people on these ships. And when he gets there, the indigenous population in Mexico was 5 million people. Okay. So from a mathematical standpoint, let me do the math really quick. Okay. That's 7,541 to one. Okay. I just did the math. All right. It's incredible, right? I'm super smart. Um, anyways, um, but this is this is this the odds are against him. Two previous like ex, ex, expeditions have gone and they failed. They haven't even set up any kind of settlement. Cortez, what he does, it's like just legendary, man, what this guy does. He says, "Hey guys, burn the ships. There's no turning back. Burn the ships." And as the crew watches their fleet burn down, they realize they come, to the, they come to terms with the fact that there's no going back to our former way of life. There's no, we're not going home. We can only go forward. We can't go back. There's no plan B. There's only plan A. And basically, T- Cortez, he takes over the whole South American continent and he moves forward. And there are moments in our lives where we have to burn the ships. We have to burn our past life. There's no going back. i gotta, I got to get rid of my old life of sin, and i got to move forward. There's no plan B. We have to be a, like Elisha and burn the plows. It was the end of Elisha as the farmer. It became Elisha the prophet. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We have to go forward to the goal that God has called us in Christ. You know, over 100 years ago, there were missionaries. They were known as one-way missionaries, okay? Basically, they were known as one-way missionaries because they bought a ticket, one-way ticket, to wherever they were going, whether they were going to India or China or some sort of island to bring the gospel. They, were, they knew they weren't coming back and so what they would do is instead of packing their suitcase, they would pack their coffin with all of their belongings because they, were, they knew they were not coming back. So when they said goodbye to their family and friends to bring the gospel to these unreached places, they knew they were never going to return. And one of these guys that did this, one of these one-way missionaries, his name is A.W. Milne. And he set sail for the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, and he knew full, full well that he was not coming back. He was going to a place where there were headhunters and that every missionary that had gone there so far had been martyred and killed. And so Milne, he did not fear for his life. He packed his coffin and he headed out there. And, and it says for 35 years he lived among that tribe and he loved them. And when he died, those tribe members buried him in that coffin and they put this, this, this inscription on his tombstone. It said this, when he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. Imagine, wherever God is calling you, that when you start on that calling, there is no light, but when you finish, there is no darkness. God calls us to bring the gospel. Jesus did not die to keep us safe and comfortable. He died to save us from our sins and to be dangerous disciples for his, to go wherever he calls us, to be all in, to burn the plows, to get rid of our former way of life and to push forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe God is calling you to be an overseas missionary and you need to burn the plows. You need to go forward. Right now, um, Will Gatling and uh, Walt Haskins, they're they are in Kenya right now. And and Walt, man, I, I don't know how, Walt, how old Walt is. I mean, I think he's like 80, but ever since I've known him the last seven years, I don't feel, feel like he's aged at all. And Walt, he's in Kenya right now Um, doing mission work. Walt, at his age, has spent um, over a year of his life in short-term mission trips in Kenya. So that's like 20 to 5 to 30 mission trips after, I think, I don't think he went on his first mission trip till he was like 65. And this guy, he burns the plows, man. He's going for it. He's all in. Maybe God's calling you to that. Maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. Maybe you're young. And you're like, oh, man, I feel this calling to follow God. And maybe he's calling you into the ministry and you gotta, you got to burn the plows. you got to sell everything you have. you got to maybe go to seminary. Maybe you don't have to sell everything you have. Maybe you keep your job and you go to school. Maybe God's calling you to adopt or mentor someone younger than you. Maybe God is calling you simply to cross your street and share the gospel with your neighbor. Or maybe God's calling you this morning to give up your life of sin and put your trust in your faith in Christ Jesus, the one who died for you. The call of discipleship is a call to be all in. Number three, the call of discipleship leads to humble service. It says that then Elisha arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. So Elisha, he goes from being CEO of Elisha Farms to being this humble servant of Elijah. He 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 lives this life of humble service. He goes from, you know, being in charge of everything to now he's just he's getting, you know, Elijah's coffee, right? He's just he's 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 in an internship. He's he's kind of like he's he's Elijah's apprentice. And so as disciples, we need to be humble servants. You know, some of us that are younger disciples, we need to find older believers in the faith and we need to Follow them and learn from them and and grow as we learn from them and serve them. You know, Elisha as this apprenticeship, it says in 2 Kings chapter 3 that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. That it's representing that he was doing, you know, the, the the simplest of tasks, that he was serving his his master, his mentor in this. You know, we have um in our student ministry, we have about five or six guys. That are at the seminary or in college that just help out in our student ministries, and they're incredible. These guys, they're they're interested in ministry. They want to learn from, you know, learn about ministry. But they also they come to serve. They come to serve. You know, we we do a um, if you've never been, we do an outdoor worship service on Wednesday nights, and you know sometimes we have over 200 people. And these young guys, man, they serve. They set up tables and they're passing out food. They clean up everything. They're throwing away trash. They come to serve. And that's what we need to be, is humble servants of Jesus. The call of discipleship leads us to humble service. Number four, the call of discipleship leads to deep friendship. It it leads us to brotherhood and sisterhood. When Elijah was in that spiritual depression in 1 Kings 19, and God pulled him out of that, and he told him, hey, I want you to go... And, and, and anoint Elisha to be a prophet in your place. He was telling him, hey, you need to, to have community. You need to have friendship. Because up until this point, Elijah had been doing ministry on his own. He'd been fighting these battles all alone and he needed a brother in arms. He needed someone to come alongside him and help him. He'd been fighting the, the false prophets and he'd been fighting these evil kings all by himself. And he felt like he was all alone. And God gives him a, 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 um, a partner, a brother, in Elisha and and it, from 1st Kings 19 to 2nd Kings 2 we have 18 years pass. And so for 18 years Elijah had this younger mentee in his life in Elisha and they had this deep friendship. Maybe you're you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And and what you need to do is you need to find a younger believer that you can come alongside and pour into and be friends with. Because that's what discipleship is. Discipleship isn't just trying to give someone Bible knowledge. Discipleship is becoming alongside someone and being their friend. It's getting to know them. It's being in their life. And that's what the call of discipleship does. It leads us to deep friendship. So 18 years pass from 1 Kings 19. It takes us to 2 Kings chapter 2. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to see this transition of leadership from Elijah to Elisha. And in verse one, it says, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. So we know Elijah is about to leave his his his, his, his office and he's about to leave this world. And, and we see this, this kind of like, I'll, I'll kind of summarize verses one through six. Um, Elijah and Elisha, they go from Bethel to Jericho and then they eventually they cross the Jordan River. They're kind of doing this reverse exodus that when, the, when the Israelites came into the promised land. This is how they came. And they're kind of going in that reverse order. And everywhere that Elijah goes, he, at Bethel, he tells Elisha, hey, just stay here, don't come with me. And Elisha's like, no, I'm coming with you, I'm coming with you, you can't leave me. And then when he gets to Jericho, he says the same thing, and Elisha says, no, I'm, I'm staying with you. And then when they cross the Jordan, he's like, hey, stay here. He goes, no, I'm staying with you. And here's what the call of the discipleship requires. It demands, it demands perseverance to the end. That Elisha, he sticks by his mentor till the end. And that's what the call of discipleship calls us. Elisha, he doggedly follows his master. He refuses to leave his prophetic master in this situation. And the question for for us is 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 will we persevere to the end? Will we stay? Will we will we will we give up towards the end? Elisha, he perseveres. We can't quit. You got to keep going forward. And so we're going to see this Prophetic transi- transition take place um, when, when they get to the Jordan River Elijah's going to do his final miracle He's going to take his cloak And he's going to strike the Jordan River It's going to remind us of the of Moses Because Elijah, he's the new Moses And he strikes the Jordan River And they cross the Jordan And all the other prophets, they see this And when they cross the Jordan Elijah, look at verse 9 Elijah Asked Elisha a question And here's what he says. He says, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said this, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He asked for a double portion of the spirit that was on Elijah. Here's number six. The call of of discipleship requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. That Elisha, he recognizes, I can't do what Elijah Elijah does on his own. That I need the Spirit of God to help me. That I can't complete this mission, this prophetic office. I need a double portion of the Spirit. In Deuteronomy 21, when the, when the firstborn received his inheritance, it was said to be a double portion. And so Elisha is asking Elijah, hey, I want to be your heir. I want to follow in your prophetic office. I want to I be like you. And so Elijah tells him, "Yeah, you'll get that. If you stay with me till the end, you will you receive that." And we see in the book of Kings that Elijah he does 14 miracles and Elisha does 28. That he receives the answer to his request, that he receives the double portion, that he receives the spirit of God. And as we've been going through this this movement series, we've been looking at the spirit of God moving through the people of God to advance his kingdom. And Elisha knows that he can't advance God's kingdom. He can't do this this work of the prophet on his own, that he needs the spirit of God. And as we've gone from Abraham to Moses and Joshua to Ruth to David and Solomon and now to Elijah and Elisha, we see that all these, these leaders needed God's spirit, that these guys aren't just heroic people, that these people are dependent on God's spirit. That's how they accomplish the work of God. And that's how we will accomplish the work of God. Whatever God has called you to, it's gonna require you to humble yourself and depend on God's spirit. The only way we'll fulfill the call of discipleship is to be filled with the spirit of God. That's what Jesus says in Luke 11. He says about prayer, he says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he says this in verse 13, he says, for if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need to ask God for his spirit to work in our lives. Man, as I, I was coming before you today, I felt of so weak, I felt tired, and I was I just like, man, God, I need your spirit. There's no way I can preach today without your spirit. I just, you know, it, there's no way we can see people come to Christ without God's spirit. There's no way you're gonna reach your friends and your neighbors for Jesus without God's spirit. You know, it's, it's not gonna come by your charisma, your knowledge, your winsomeness. The only way people's hearts are transformed is by the spirit of God. And we'll never fulfill the call of discipleship without God's spirit. And Elisha recognizes this, that he will never do that. And so he receives his request. He receives this double, this double portion. Now, as we go into verses 10 through 12, we see um, it's kind of this epic scene. We see um, these chariots of fire, and um, this chariot, this fire, these horses are on fire, and they come and they separate Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind in like a tornado. He's taken up into heaven. It's just incredible. This is like the most epic death ever, right? Like a war horse on fire comes in, separates the two, and he's taken up into a tornado. This is unbelievable. This is crazy. And so Elijah Elijah receives his eternal reward. And the text leaves us with this question because what happens is the mantle, the cloak that Elijah had thrown onto Elisha earlier is now laying on the ground. And the question is, will Elisha pick up the cloak and put it on and fulfill the call of God on his life? It's the same question for us. Will we count the cost? Will we persist? Will we persevere? Will we seek God's glory? Will we seek to put on the cloak and fulfill the calling that God has put on our lives? And what Elisha does is he picks up the cloak and he puts it on. And he becomes the prophet that God had wanted. And all the other prophets, they go out and they're looking for Elijah. They're like, maybe Elijah, he, he's kind of done this kind of thing before. We're gonna, Hey, let us go up to this mountain. Elisha's like, no, you don't need to. But eventually they go and they go look for Elijah because they don't recognize, see, see, sometimes when you lose a leader, you know, you, you want to go back to the old way of life. You're looking for that old leader. We, we need that person. We need that Elijah. But here's the thing. As we move forward, you don't, it's not about the leader. The power wasn't in the leader. The power was in the Spirit of God. And that's what Elisha says he comes to the Jordan River and he takes the cloak and he strikes the river and he says this he says where is the Lord the God of Elijah he doesn't ask the question where everybody else is asking where is Elijah he asked the question where is the God of Elijah he was he was having a God-centric view that the power to move forward was not in Elijah it was in the God of Elijah And that's what we need. We need God's spirit. We need the God of Elijah in our lives. We need that double portion of his spirit to move forward and accomplish the mission that God has given for us. And so as Elisha takes on that cloak and he moves forward, he parts the Jordan River and he crosses over that. And so he's now going and doing the exodus in reverse order again. He's going now to Jericho. And so when he gets to Jericho, I'll just give you like a summary. Jericho has been under a curse for many years, and the land is um, the water in the land is is poisoned. It's, it's basically it's 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 corrupt. People are dying from there's it says there's miscarriages. Um, the land isn't producing. It's just it's 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 the water's no good. And it says that Elisha he prays to God and he takes some salt and he throws it into the water and basically the water in the land is healed. And so now he's doing the miracles that Elijah did, and he heals the land. And so he—he he, is, this isn't like a scientific, you know, solution. He doesn't like salt doesn't fix things like that. This is a miraculous one, right? And so then he goes from Jericho where he cleanses the water. Now he heads to Bethel, and when he gets to Bethel, he's going to meet some young young people, okay? And these young people, um, scholars believe that these young people. Um, They had this kind of business going where they would take water from Bethel, some good water, and take it to Jericho, where there was, you know, this dirty, unclean water, and would give this water to the people, and they kind of had this like business going on where they'd make money. And now that Elisha has healed that water, these these young people are upset, okay? So now now we're going to see one of these madmen moments here, okay? So look with me here in verse 23. It says, When Elisha. When he went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, go up, you baldhead, go up, you baldhead. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And from there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Okay, this is... Like the youth pastor's life verse, okay? Whenever the youth group, whenever the youth group is misbehaving, this is the passage you read, right? Hey, like if you're not gonna do what I say and you're gonna misbehave, man, just watch out, man. Bears are coming out of the woods and they're gonna they're gonna maul you, okay? So, uh, just kidding. I don't do that. All right, that's not what I do. Um, if you're worried, like I ain't sending my kid to that youth group. That's not what happens, okay? If you didn't know i'm the youth pastor so All right i'm a dangerous youth pastor anyways um but this so some people have a real problem with this passage okay they're like man he curses these like small boys and and bears come out and just like you know maul them and kill them so here's the thing the phrase small boys is used of solomon earlier in first kings 37 and solomon at that time he's 20 years old okay and, and so this isn't like some small kids at Awana running out to, uh, you know, Elisha and yelling at him. This is, that's not what's going on. These are at least teenagers, young adults, young men who are living in disobedience and rebellion to God, coming out and yelling at him. And they're saying, go up, you baldhead. Go up, you baldhead. They're kind of like, you know, talking about his, you know, you're your follically challenged, right, Elisha? You know, go up, you baldhead. And when they say go up, they're saying go up to the high places. Go up to our God. Go up to the Baals and worship them. Don't worship the God of Israel. Go up. He's either saying that or he's saying go up. Just like Elijah went up to heaven, go up. We don't want you around. You've ruined our business. And so this is a mob of young men who have come against Elisha. This isn't like little kids. And and, and there's this covenant curse in Leviticus 26 that talks about beasts coming to to um, destroy those who come against God's covenant. And so we see this kind of warning already in Scripture. And here's the thing that we need to think about here is that age does not exempt sin from being punished. That These guys are young. They're young. And sometimes when you're young, you think you can just live in sin and live away from God, and you don't need to take it serious right now. But here's number seven, the final thing. The call of discipleship is for today. Today is the day of salvation. Sometimes when we're we're young, we think, man, I'll just go and sow my wild oats. I'll just go live a life of sin. And when I get older, when I get kids, then I'll get back into church. I've heard many young people say that. Man, right now, I just want to have fun. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to live for God right now. But here's the thing. The call of discipleship is for today. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. The clock is ticking. The end is nigh. Today is the day of salvation. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you answered the call of discipleship? Have you come to the Savior? Have you come to Jesus? We've seen this greater Moses in Elijah. We've seen this greater Joshua in Elisha. And here we see this greater prophet Jesus who comes. He's the greater Moses, he's the greater Joshua, he's the greater Elijah, he's the greater Elisha, he's the son of God who came to this earth to give us his life and he paid for our sins. And the call of discipleship is for you today. Have you trusted in Jesus now, today? Have you put your faith in him? Have you turned from your sins and have you come to the son of God who gave his life for you? He paid for your your sins on the cross. He died, and he was resurrected to give you eternal life. He takes care of your two biggest problems, sin and death. He takes care of your sin on the cross, and he takes care of your fear of death by resurrecting. That's Jesus. That's the one we've been called to follow. And here's the thing. Elisha, later in Kings, when he's buried, he's buried in this this grave, and they throw another dead body into the grave with him. And the spirit is so strong on Elisha that the other dead body resurrects and comes out of the grave. Now, do you remember when Jesus died, what happened? That bodies all around started coming out of the graves and people started coming back to life. Because Jesus has the greater resurrection power. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he comes to resurrect you, to give you new life, to make you alive in him. And so this is the call of discipleship. When you come to the, you answer the call to discipleship, you don't miss out on anything. You get this greater thing. You get Jesus. You get a life of power and love and strength. This is the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship requires us to walk outside of our comfort zone It requires us to be all in, to burn the plows. It leads us to humble service. It leads us to deep friendship. It demands perseverance to the end. It requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. And the call of discipleship is for today. And so have you answered the call to be a disciple of Jesus? Have you left it all? If you turned your back on your former way of life, and are you pushing forward to the call of God in your life in Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for your people here. We've we've studied your word here in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Lord, and I just pray, Father, that for us today, today would be the day we answer the call of discipleship, that each and every day we would answer that call. We would ring that bell, and we would come to follow Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you, who has never trusted in you. I pray today would be the day that they come to Jesus, that they trust in the Savior. Lord, may your Spirit move among your people. Renew our hearts. Renew our minds. Empower us this week as we go out to make disciples. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.